Are you an ambitious, driven entrepreneur starting to feel overwhelmed, maybe a little trapped by your business? Well, I have a solution for you. It is the five-day bottleneck to breakthrough challenge, where in an hour a day, we will give you the roadmap, the blueprint, the treasure map to where you can find yourself with more free time, more freedom of money, and a more valuable business. Hope to see you soon www.bottlenecktobreakthrough.com. On this episode, I am interviewing a proper business mogul, G. Scott Patterson, a true serial entrepreneur in the worlds of tech and entertainment. And this is a true rags to riches story that I know you will enjoy. This is The Real Bottom Line where we tell entrepreneurial stories about true grit and perseverance from frontline business owners themselves. Now, let's get started. Hello and welcome to The Real Bottom Line. My guest today is G. Scott Patterson, and he's a technology entrepreneur. Now, I'm going to do a little bit more of a setup for Scott because he is a business mogul, and I need to tell you a little bit about what he's done before we dig into the questions. And so, he is a prolific entrepreneur, financier, and investor focusing on technology and media. He currently serves as executive chairman of Future Vault, chairman of QU Media Inc., and lead director of Giftogram Inc. He's been named one of Canada's top 40 under 40. He's been a TED Talk speaker. He had a whole chapter dedicated to him in a book, uh, Titans, called by Peter C. Newman. He's been profiled in Time Magazine as one of Canadian, Canada's 21st century leaders and profiled in Newsweek as one of the 17 people to watch globally. So, Scott, welcome to the show. Well, thank you very much, Wendy. But, you know, when you say top 40 under 40, I don't think I can fool anybody <laughs> with my white hair. Uh, that was many moons ago. I'm now 58, but... I still love water skiing every day in the summer. I play squash almost every day. So as my wife teases me and she says, oh, you still think you're a bloody college kid? And I said, well, what's wrong with that? But anyway, when I heard top 40 under 40, I thought, oh, not with this white hair. I can't get away with that. <laughs> Some days we just don't have to tell them the number, Scott. This is uh, mostly an audio thing. <laughs> oh, good point. Very good point. Very good point. So yeah. you have been there, done that, and you have a lot of t-shirts. So when you are growing up and you're thinking about growing up, did you always have a vision that you would be a mover and shaper in business, like a business mogul? Did you always know this? Well, I first of all, I've got a lot of scars on my back too. I, I have been lucky enough to have a few successes, but um, I do have a lot of scars on my back. Too many actually, and I'm still putting scars on my back. And I think, gosh, <laughs> at this age, you know, you'd think you'd um, have learned enough lessons. I would say, you know, it's a great question you asked. I would say that I had huge aspiration from a young age and mm. huge confidence that I could be successful, but there was always, and still is ironically, a nagging mm -hmm. doubt about whether I could pull it off. So it wasn't as simple as, oh man, I'm going to be a great success someday and all that kind of stuff. And of course, when you do get the scars on your back, it reaffirms that, that part of your brain that's saying, you know, you're an imposter and you know, you really couldn't have made it or shouldn't have made it, all that kind of stuff. So I, I absolutely aspired to uh, succeed in life. And, um, and I still do, um, you know, there's different metrics for success, mind you, uh, from, you know, from, from all perspectives, but uh, 
it's interesting. I'm sort of at that phase in my life where I'm thinking a lot about these topics. So it's very interesting you asked it that way. Well, one of the other things I wanted to ask, because I did read your chapter in Titans, um, there's a lot talk about the influence that your grandmother had on your life growing up. Um, what was your top lesson from your grandmother and how has that translated through to today? Wow, you know, I, I, my grandmother, my maternal grandmother, yes. um, her name was Margie Drake, Margaret Drake. Um, my mom uh, conceived me when she was 18. Okay. Was first year university. Uh, thank goodness uh, they decided to have the baby. Mm -hmm. um, the marriage didn't last very long. And my dad um, uh, lived in the area uh, or close to the area uh, for a while, but then moved out uh, west. I, I saw him you know, with a high degree of frequency, and we had a great relationship. He passed away um, many, many years ago in 2005. But my grandparents, my mother's parents, played a big role in bringing me up. My mom became a high school teacher. By the way, she later went on to get her master's and her PhD. Oh, nice. She's a professor at Brock, and she's written 11 books in 16 languages, been translated, and very, very proud of her. But my grandmother, um, gosh, she, you know, it's still a problem. I can't watch people you know, order a nice meal and I'm eating every single thing on the plate and other people are leaving a half of a beautiful steak sitting there. I think, how do they have that discipline? My grandmother taught me you got to eat every single thing on your plate. There may not be another, another meal because she grew up in the depression. Right. But aside from that, it was hard work. You know, I was telling one of my sons the other day, you know, berating him for sleeping in to all hours and saying, you know, my grandmother made me get up in St. Catharines, Ontario, and took me at 5.30 in the morning when it was still dark in the spring to the farmer's market to put me in the back of a pickup truck, mostly with immigrants who were happy to come to Canada and get a job. And out we went strawberry picking. And I'd come back and say, Grant, that was just terrible. I hated every minute of that. And she'd say, you're going to keep doing it. And then she said, do you understand if you don't get an education, that's unfortunately what you end up having to do. So there was this real bedrock, you know, instilled thing about hard work mm -hmm. and, and values along those lines. And then I got really lucky in the sense that when I was 14, she gave me uh, my birthday gift instead of a bike. I looked in the neighborhood, all the other guys in the street got a bike on their birthdays. And I got this stock certificate worth about 50 bucks, uh, five shares of Abitibi paper and went, what the heck is this? Yeah. And she was a really interesting woman because she was really a modest means, but she studied the stock market, introduced me to her uh, local broker in St. Catharines, Frank Cooper, who's still around, ran the Dominion Securities branch there. And uh, that got me uh, just in love with capital markets and, and how that how that influenced the whole world with respect to job creation and entrepreneurship and, and, and all that kind of stuff. So thanks for asking, because my grandmother had a massive role in my life. Yeah, she's, it sounds really awesome. And, and, and so much in your answer it has it probably influences your worth ethic and all the things that have kind of driven you to the point where you are today from a success perspective as well. Um, oh, gosh, you made me think because uh, when I was uh, in grade nine is when I decided I was going to go into business when I figured out you could make a spread on the foreign exchange between US and Canadian dollars. So it's funny how these things happen so early in your lives. Eh? Exactly. What would you tell knowing, looking back on all the things you've done, like you said, you've had some successes, you've had some failures. What is the lesson you would tell your fresh out of college you? Wow. The fresh out of college me, uh, boy, there'd probably be a lot of them. Um, I think one of them would be 
that it's a marathon, not a sprint. Okay. Uh, I think that I felt and, and sometimes still do, but I'm getting much more mature if that's uh, <laughs> you'd think, but by this age, that would be, you know, a, a, a constant word, but, no but I think, yeah, exactly. I, I, I and I learned this, um, you know, I remember one of the great experiences I've had in my life have been involved with Lionsgate Entertainment, the movie yes. studio. I've been involved from day one. I was the second investor in the company and the management team, fantastic breadth and depth, but, but led by two guys, uh, John Feltheimer and Michael Burns. And, and Michael would always say it's a marathon, not a sprint. And I'm always in a hurry to accomplish something, uh, whatever it may be. And I think in business and in life, and I'm not saying slow down in any material way, uh, because I think pace and speed and passion and energy and eagerness play a big role in achieving yes. anything. But I think probably there's probably a number of circumstances where if I'd been a little more patient, I think the outcome uh, would have been would have been better for me and, and everybody involved. Has that, you know, I, when you go back to the Titan books, they talk a lot about your ambition level. And I'm assuming that some, tell me if I'm wrong, ambition might have been tied into the pace you wanted to do things and all that based on your last answer. Has that changed as you've gone older? Are you still as ambitious as when you started? In business, you has know, it changed? It's a great, it's a great question, and I, I love this one because it's turning into. And I haven't been to my shrink in a while, so <laughs> we're, we're we're going in a fascinating direction. I do like uh, being uh, introspective, if that's the right word. You know, when I uh, graduated from Western and I started at Dominion Securities, I was briefly in the training program. Then back then, they kind of threw you the white pages and said, "Go to town," and you you cold called people, and and mm -hmm. I love doing it. And, um, you know, I, I'm not making this up. I mean, the office was empty by 545, except me. Okay. And uh, most of my buddies had gone to Europe post-graduating. They were in Mykonos, uh, backpacking, chasing girls, drinking, you know, having yeah, fun. Yeah. And I was working. I worked till midnight. I worked to the office. I'd cold call people at home. This is before kind of privacy laws and the white pages existed. You could look up anybody's name if you thought they were somebody of means that you thought might be interested in, you know, investing uh, type of thing. And I cold call people and I had a whole strategy and style that, that tended to work uh, quite well. And then I'd get home and I'd do research and reading and preparing and I'd work till midnight. And I see, I had grown up where we never owned a home in St. Catharines. My mom and I lived in in apartments. We, we debate about the, the, the degree to which they were, uh, <laughs> They were crappy apartments, or let's call it very, very modest. Um, but um, so I was really hungry. Yeah. And, and so that led to that desire. I still believe in businesses I'm involved in today, pace matters. The world's moving very, very quickly. Um, you know, counterparties that are buying your product or service, they want quick responses. They want professional responses. Mm -hmm. And frankly, they'll measure you against your competition in that regard. So I just, I think what I meant earlier was a little bit around where I'm a little more today. I look at a couple of businesses, you know, you mentioned um, Future Vault and Q Media and Gift Around and I'm, I'm 58. I think I'm a young 58. Hopefully I am. Uh, but I think in terms of the next seven years, I think yes. about what are these businesses going to be like when I'm 65? What can we accomplish over the next seven years as opposed, and, and, you know, getting closer to sort of the you know, the ending more chapter of a business career than certainly the middle or the beginning. 
Whereas in the beginning, I would have been much more focused on what's happening in the next six months. Next six, six months, pardon me, next six months matter, mm-hmm. but it's really that time frame um, that I'm referring to around being a little more patient, a little bit more of it's a marathon than a sprint. And an example would be a setback. Um, we had, I won't name the, the company, but with respect to Future Vault, I don't know, a year and change ago, they, they chose a competitor. Uh, we're very disappointed. I knew the people. Um, I really thought we'd win the business. And sure enough, and I thought it was gone forever. And yeah. they came back recently and said, you know what? It's not working all that well. Can we revisit your solution? We'll see if we get the business. But when you have that marathon mentality, a little bit more than the sprint, you're able to not be as disappointed, stay in the game with them and be around for you know, the end of the marathon and, and hopefully be in a position to, to win. I love that. And, and come, what comes up for me on that side is the difference between immediate gratification versus looking long-term, like you just said, right? I call it the today versus tomorrow kind of mentality. Have you seen a shift uh, in the markets and stuff where people are becoming more and more about immediate gratification? Or where do you see that playing out? Well, it's, it's the conundrum, of course, of capitalism, really what you're talking about here. We can talk about this for hours. I mean, yes. quarterly, quarterly reports are designed for transparency and designed so that information isn't held by a few people, but known by everybody. So there's a great rationale behind quarterly disclosure and press releases on material information. But the flip side is that managers and people have to manage for the very short term, typically. Now, in the UK, you may know that it's a six-month reporting period. So here's one of the biggest markets in the whole world, and most of the companies don't have to report um, every quarter. You know, it's just, it's it's a really, I, I would say... There's no question in my mind that things are much shorter. Uh, cycles are shorter. You know, we're in one right now that's obviously seen a pretty mm. nasty pullback in capital markets and what's happening with inflation and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think because of the very thing we're talking about, that this, this pace and the flow of information, I think by definition, cycles are shorter, which is good on both, <laughs> both respects. So if I'm right, that means if there is a downturn, it's a short-lived downturn. Um, but the same happens in these spikes on, on the way, the way up. Do you think, um, I noticed that in a lot of your roles these days, you've transitioned from maybe being CEO, operational guy, you, now you're on the board and you're a director or chair. Uh, does that change? So does the board have to have the longer term vision than maybe the operational side? And that's where that, that attribute comes in. You know, there's another interesting thing that today's, young kids coming out of business school, et cetera, they probably don't even know that in the old days, I'm talking about, you know, when I grew up, you know, in the business, uh, you know, uh, I guess 30, 38 years ago is when I started or 37 years ago, the chairmans uh, were typically responsible for the strategy. Yes. And, And then the board hired the CEO to execute the strategy and the CEO would hire the key reports and work out the major, major, major issues or, and decisions. And then they'd hire a president, sometimes also a chief operating officer to actually execute day to day. And again, for good reasons, the world evolved where they said, well, you know what, really there needs to be this layer of oversight. And so what's happened in the last 10 or 15 years, and there's some unintended consequences of this that aren't so great in my view, is that the chairmans have become purely oversight. 
and way less about strategy. So you go into bo most board meetings these days and the whole strategy is in the CEO's hands and their major you know, executives that they're aligned with. And then the board is more, frankly, often checking boxes around governance matters and uh, audits, making sure the compliance and there's no fraudulent behavior. And I think there's, um, you know, it's really interesting because you still see a few chairmen and CEOs in the U.S. and that's becoming less common. But in my case, um, I work best and I'm most successful if I have the chairman role and I'm aligned with a really, really strong operator. And I'm um, helping a lot in strategy. So the old fashioned way you'd consider a, a chairman with strategy, hopefully opening up my Rolodex as much as mm -hmm. I can with respect to relationships, uh, typically responsible for capital markets and bringing in the funding. But I'm also in business development. You know, in, in Future Vault, I'm, I'm bringing in a lot of the business. I'm in those meetings. I, part of it is I love it. Yeah. Um, part of it is it's early stages. And so I want to help part of it's mentorship, mm -hmm. part of it's fear. Part of it is fear. I brought in buddy's money and I feel like I have to be on the front line so that I don't fail them. Um, but I, I wish I, to be frank, was a little more chairmanish in that, oh, that means you don't operate much and you could be the chairman, uh, you know, sitting at your cottage. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm You're still not wired in, that way. Yeah, well, it's not even the wired. I mean, I, 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 I'm Wendy. I look forward to a day where I can be a little bit more in that seat because um, I've actually been able to do that. You know, years ago, I co-founded a, a, a fintech called Symbility Solutions with a long, long-term, very close friend of mine, James Swayze, who we met at high school. And he was the CEO, great business builder and built a great business. And at first I was fairly active in the way I described a few minutes ago, but in the last few years, we ended up selling the business very successfully in December, 2018 to a big NASDAQ company called CoreLogic for $163 million. Uh, but I wasn't um, involved day to day. So I really was that chairman role. And trust me, I love that. It's in the early days of building a business where forget your title. You've got to, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you got to do it all. You know that. Yeah. yeah. The all hands on deck mentality to some degree. Your business is making a profit. You're growing, but you may still feel like you don't fully have a grasp on how to make the best use of this success. Don't worry, you're not alone. Hi, I'm Wendy Brookhouse, creator of the Total Wealth Accelerator and host of this podcast. I've developed a quick and easy tool that will give you a detailed snapshot of where you're currently at in your business and wealth growth and how you can improve upon it. It's called your financial diagnostic score. It's completely free and you'll instantly get the results. So head over to totalwealthscore.com right now and see where you can focus to grow your wealth. Okay, a couple of things that have come up here that I want to go down roads on is what are you afraid of? I am afraid of humiliation with respect to failing the investors that back me. Uh, and when you get a few scars on your back, you feel it. Um, some are very mature and remember the winners and try to balance that off with some losers. Some conveniently forget the winners and only want to talk to you about your losers. Um, but I have the, the, the good fortune, but then there's a downside to the fact that many people that have had great relationships for many, many, many years uh, will, uh, will, will write a check basically on a phone call. 
And so the great news about that is, you know, fundraising is never being, it's not that it's easy. It's always difficult, but relative to most entrepreneurs, it's been probably one of the uh, lower risk factors uh, if I'm involved. The downside to the fact that people do limited due diligence and that are just counting on you to succeed is, you know, I really feel that pressure. And when things aren't going as well as I'd like them to be going, I, I've forgotten all about my money. I'm all focused on their money and, and doing everything in my power to make sure they get the best return they possibly can. So that, that does weigh on me. That's interesting. Okay. How do you choose where you're going to play? Like, what are the characteristics of the companies that you have chosen to involve yourself with? Well, I, I kind of look at my life in three buckets from an investment perspective. I, I do own some some good quality stable stocks, not, not enough of them, but I do own um, uh, that I, I've literally held for a long time. Like I've held Dollarama since the day it went public and uh, it has split. I think the after giving effect to the splits, you know, the price was 250 a share and today it's 70. Yeah. Uh, and I've held it for whatever number of years, a long time. And I got a few of those. And I just think fantastic companies, hopefully never going to sell them. Then I'm a bit of a trader uh, in a bull market, which we've not been in, but in a bull market, it's easy to be a trader. And there's, you know, guys calling you all day long with everything from mining deals to oil and gas to tech deals and biotech deals and cannabis deals and on and on and on and carbon deals now and NFT deals and you name it. Then I tend to invest in trends. So when things are hot, I will invest in them and a bit of more of a trading attitude uh, but I'm, again, I'm not really paying attention to the fundamentals. I'm more looking at the macro environment of what, where are flows of capital going? And usually it'll, you know, rising tides will, will float all boats. Uh, and then I've got the principal investments. And that's what you're referring to earlier, Future Vault, Q Media, and Giftogram. And really, I think of my, my world and to the extent I have, you know, expertise, it would be in kind of two buckets and it would be in the media world particularly as media overlaps with technology uh, and content and in the fintech world. And and then there's Giftogram's a little bit of an outlier. It's a corporate gifting platform and an e-commerce gifting platform. You know, I can send you a gift and then will, I'm going to send you a Giftogram, Wendy. You'll experience it firsthand here. Very, very cool. As long as I have your cell phone, which I do, uh, you'll see you get this Giftogram from me. I I caution you'll be probably modest, but we'll send you something fun. Uh, but that was my former personal CFO, young guy named Jason Reed, really talented, really smart. And he came to me and I wanted to back him. Q Media, which is a really, really cool company. This is where we're building a television channel in India, where the macro dynamics are out of this world in a positive way. And we have a TV channel called Q India, catered to young Indians between 20 and 30. By the way, there's more young Indians than there are all Americans. It's kind of a cool stat. And that TV channel... It's on cable and satellite, just like you'd expect a regular TV channel, but on your phone as well. Um, That TV channel has been a top 10 channel in the country of India now for over a year. And you and I spoke about this actually a few weeks ago in Halifax, and our revenue has just skyrocketed. That was the former head of digital media at Lionsgate who came to me, really had a lot of confidence in him, backed him, put up money, brought in other money. And, and by the way, we struggled in that business. We almost lost the business. And, you know, all, literally two and a half years ago, we almost shut the doors. But oh, we wow. felt we were close. We felt we were close. We hung in there, thank goodness. 
And now it's at this point, a, a great success story and hopefully even more so. Future Vault is one where I came up with the idea. Uh, I woke up one day seven years ago and said, holy smokes, one of the biggest industries the world's ever seen, imagine that statement, Wendy, is about to be created. One of the biggest industries the world has ever seen. And I'm calling it, and we're calling it personal life management. So digital <laughs> for every single person on the planet. Now, the pioneer was Dropbox, yes. creating personal document management. And you might use OneDrive or Google Drive, and your listeners would too. But there's a whole new category coming here that's going to be delivered to you from your bank, your brokerage firm, your credit union, from hospitals, from educational institutions, your university, unions, pension funds, and eventually governments. And I don't know whether my vernacular personal life management digital vaults will stick, but every single person on this planet will have a digital personal life management vault with all their personal, financial, and legal documents. And I'll give you this one punchline on this, uh, is that my team just told me that I went through 10,000 documents in my future vault recently. And I don't save junk, but I do save my kids' report cards, uh, their bronze medallion, uh, you know, accreditations. I save the deed to my house, uh, my 10-foot shore allowance at my cottage. I save my brokerage statements, my bank statements, my eyeglass prescription. You'd be shocked at how just today we bought something, uh, oh, a gator for our cottage to run stuff around. And I said, don't forget, make sure that 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 not only the invoice, but the warranty is in yes. the future vault under the, where's your warranty stuff? We all know where it is. It's in some drawer, it gets lost, it's all over the place. So I think that this is going to be an industry which will be, it'd be almost like saying, imagine the world without a cell phone uh, five to 10 years from now. So this is something I'm very excited about. I have been heavily involved. I've you know, co-founded it, have my name actually on at least one patent now, which had never happened to me in my life, which is kind oh, of cool. That is very cool. Anyway, so there's a variety of the way things come into my world. And but but if I am going to be a principal in a meaningful way, I have to have a very significant degree of influence because what I can't do back to the people who give me money is say, oh, thanks for the money you sent me. But, you know, that CEO didn't do a very good job. No, they don't care about that. They care about me. They don't want to hear about the CEO. They they gave the money to me. And therefore, I have to have a very significant degree of influence. I love that. Um, so those are the opportunities you're involved in now. Where are the opportunities for the next 10 years? Where should we be paying attention to? Well, I mean, there's trends should we be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's the there's the whole electric vehicle mm. stuff, there's everything to do with the environment and renewables. There's the whole carbon trade. Uh, you know, what happens with uh, carbon credits and the, the movement towards that. Uh, the metaverse, you know, you mm. got to believe Zuckerberg's one of the smartest guys on the planet and he renames Facebook to Meta. I don't know. I mean, maybe he made a mistake. I doubt it. He's a pretty smart guy. Right. Um, so there's some big trends there. The NFTs are really, really interesting. Blockchain, uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, what's really neat about it is, and that's what I sort of love about being in the capital markets or in the world in which entrepreneurs are showing up asking for money, asking you to be involved with them is there's always really smart people showing up with really smart ideas. And, you know, I'm a bit of a, you know, salesman's a sucker for another salesman. So I'm a sucker <laughs> for a lot of stuff. And I also suffer from, you know, the, the FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. Mm. I mean, I just put some money in a carbon deal the other day and I don't really know if I buy into the whole carbon credits 
industry because it's it's an odd one. You can pollute as long as you buy his credits or what. Uh, you know, you know, what I mean, it feels a little awkward, but the reason I still put money in is I was scared to death if these guys, look, I just thought those guys could hit it. It was really cool what they were doing. I thought, what if they hit it? I, I, I cannot have seen this deal and have passed on this deal. And then they, you know, make a thousand times the money. So I, I, I'm a bit of a sucker for that. It, it takes one to know one, I guess. Right. So you see the, someone who's telling you what's going on uh, and what can happen. Okay. A little bit of a shift. What does downtime look like for you? These days, really, truly not, I don't even know. Um, yeah. I, and I'd love to tell you, it's because, oh, things are going so well, like I'm nonstop. Uh, I'm putting out fires left, right, and center. Uh, I am blessed to have eight children, mm-hmm. all the way from uh, 25 years old at the eldest to two years old. Oh, my goodness. And um, that alone, there is something going on every day. Some of it's joyful. One of my daughters in a play last night, and then she and I went for dinner. And some of it's, you know, you get the call from the school and they're up to no good. And <laughs> it is, um, so that is my downtime. I, I do play, I play squash yeah. almost every day. I love mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'm not the best player on the planet by any stretch, but it, it, it's something about the sport where if you play somebody of sort of equal caliber, you feel like you came out of a shower, you've burned a lot of calories, it gets a lot of stress off. And I love that. I love uh, the cottage. I love being up north, you know, north of Toronto. There's a whole swath, as you you know. You know, are you from Eastern Canada initially or always? Mostly. Yeah, okay. But, you you know, I think, I don't know if you've ever been to the Muskoka, but even forget Muskoka. Everything two hours north of Toronto you just run into these beautiful freshwater lakes and the temperature mm. 75 in July and August and it's clean and the fresh air and the trees and the beauty and love snow skiing in the, you know, people, oh, gotta, cool. people crap on Toronto, you know, I don't get it. You know, you're two hours from, okay. It's not the big, biggest skiing in the whole world, but the Collingwood area has beautiful Hills. It's great for the families, great fresh air. And then in the summer it competes with anything in the world. And so I think the answer to your question is, Downtime for me is is in you know really doing sports and ideally with my family and close close friends. Question for you is I'm making an assumption that you have a significant net worth. When is enough enough for you? Is it because you enjoy the game of business that you won't stop, or will you stop? Well, I would tell you that my net worth was a heck of a lot higher three four months ago. I've been, <laughs> and I don't say that jokingly. I've been you know I play a fairly high risk game, and I've been. Yep. You know, as you know, tech stocks are are literally, I saw a, a hundred tech stocks, you'd know every single name on it, like from Peloton to mm-hmm. interest that are down 70% yeah. uh, in the last three or four months. And I, you know, unfortunately owned way too many of those. So I have been quite hurt. But um, I think um, in my case, um, I, I do have eight kids. It's very expensive. They're in universities and private schools and yada, yada. And I do like to have... Uh, a cottage and those kind of things. So I have a, a burn rate and we all have burn yeah, rates, we all yeah. have burn rates. And so I wish that I, you know, had this huge pot of money sitting somewhere that just generated a bunch of, of interest. That's not really my okay. reality. I'm not saying that I haven't done well. I've done extremely well by, you know, listen, you know, I suppose I'd be a one percenter or whatever the characterization is, which I feel blessed by and I'm grateful for, you know, every single day, but I guess back to those things we were talking about at the very beginning. And I'd read about this with other people too, that, that often when you come from very limited means, 
you're scared to death. You're going to lose it at any minute. You yeah. just, it's in your ethos. And I, I, I'm embarrassed to admit, I, I feel that way often. Like, Oh my God, I could, I could, could lose this all. And you have a, you know, three bad months and lose a whole bunch of money. And you, you, you know, it, it reinforces that fear when in reality, you know, if people looked at it and said, are you kidding me, buddy? You know, you, you got this, you got this, you got that. So I definitely do not, um, you know, bust my butt to make, you know, have more money. I do yes. bust my butt for my family and my burn rate. Yes. Um, that I do. And I respect, you know, uh, everybody's circumstances are different, but, you know, at the core, I think most people live yep that way and you know and i certainly could cut my burn rate very dramatically uh and the other thing though that's really interesting wendy is i hang around partly because of the nature of the business i do some people that are uber successful so you kindly said hey you've been successful of a high net worth but i'm talking people with like a real net worth and it's fascinating how i avoid or try to avoid anything other than being happy for them uh -huh. and you know, acknowledging their good fortune and not letting myself think, well, well, I should, I got to push myself further to get there. What I have found, maybe this is the best conclusion to, to the question. I've found this over and over and over in my life. If I try to make money, I can't make money if my life depended on it. But if I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and I'm interested and my energy's there and I think we're helping people, which I can tell you in all the businesses we're in, how we're helping people, you know, we're not brain surgeons in that respect, but we're helping people in other elements of their life, mm. and the money flows. So I really believe that when you're passionate and enjoying what you're doing, it'll come together. And um, I found that in my own life. Scott, I think this is a wonderful spot for us to, to end on. Um, I think the real bottom line here, it's about the people, it's about the passion, and it's about the work ethic. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Wendy. So much learning in this episode. Do you want more? I have a special offer for The Right Entrepreneur, a complimentary one-on-one -on -one coaching session that is all about you, your business, your goals, so you can accelerate the growth of your business and your wealth head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and there you'll find a letter that details all the components of that call, how it would work and how to apply. Yeah, that's right. We're having an application because what we want to do is make sure that the people that we do have the one-on-one -on -one coaching with are people that we can actually help get ahead. And that way we're not wasting anybody's time. So head over to wealthcoachingwithwendy.com and apply today. Thanks.